Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday afternoon. I'm trying to state with a schedule. So I'd like to do the Haftarah today, um, which is, of course, the most famous Haftarah, Shabbos Nachamu. And today's talk is being sponsored by the Steins and Cutlers. Barry Stein and Karen Cutler, um, Mr. and Mrs. Barry Stein, uh, because I see they have, in, in honor of a bunch of yard sites, it's interesting. It's a, both their sets of parents, interesting. There's Barry's parents, Zindu Yaakov and Eli Melcha Cohen, who was one of the guys on the uh, Manhattan Project, the A-bomb, right? That's, that tells you a lot. And his mother, Binibas Yaakov, and Karen's father, Yisrael Simcha Ben Yechiel Tzvi Alevi. Uh, we were once in that show, what's it called, Base Avram, is that what it's called? Bnei Avram, Base Avram in Philly, Old Philly. Um, and his mother, and her mother, I'm sorry, so it's Karen's father, Yisrael Simcha Ben Yechiel Tzvi Alevi, and her mom, Tzvi Abbas Zechariah Cohen, and it's also Karen's birthday uh, for Shabbos Nachman, which is a lucky time. So it's a very uh, nice set of causes on whose behalf to dedicate a talk, the podcast. Let's jump right into it. Um, Shabbos Nachman, I mean, come on. It's not so simple. <clears throat> very well-known uh, Haftorah, although I think in America everybody thinks Shabbos Nachman for Shaduchim. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that either. Um, two bob this week, you know. Uh, also, she did. I got married on two bob, but I can't say I met my wife on Shabbos Nachmu. Uh, my brother did uh, a million years ago, so uh, you know it has those associations. But stripping away all the extra stuff, what's going on over here? I pointed out last week that this is very interesting. That although we're talking about the Chorban and afterwards, the aftermath. Uh, theoretically, it ought to go with the prophet Jeremiah, but instead we switch to the prophet Isaiah, Yeshayahu. As I mentioned last time, you'd think that the Haftorah before Tishabah should be something from Yermio, because he was there by Tishabah. Yeshayah wasn't. And I made the argument that Yeshayah had his Holocaust as well. And uh, I think it's overlooked. Everybody knows, anybody knows anything about the book of Isaiah, Yeshayah knows there's two halves A and B. Um, the first is pretty uh, negative. The second is all positive. Uh, and our chapter, Nachamun, Nachamun, is like the beginning of the positive. The previous uh, chapter is about where uh, King Chizkiel screwed up. And, um, you know, he showed the Babylonian ambassadors all these riches and things like, excuse me, things like that. Shalach Baisahi, Shalach Merodach Baladan, Melch Bavel, and so on and so forth. And Chizkiyot, instead of saying, oh, we won the war because of Hashem, by Yareim is based in Choso, it's a Kesev, it's a Zov, it's a Besomim, and so forth. He showed off his wealth. And then um, the prophet Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, said, you must have made a big mistake. And one day the Babylonians, now that they see where your treasures are, will come and take them and destroy everything, which of course happened on Tishabah. By the way, that would have been an excellent um, Haftorah for last week. Agreed? <laughs> I mean, 
That would be an excellent Haftor for last week. Just before Tishabot, you tell the story of Chizkiel, who screwed up by showing the Babylonians his treasures instead of saying Yad Hashem. And then you end up with the prophecy, well, the Babylonians will come and destroy everything. And then you come to Tishabot. But that's not how they rigged it up. Instead, they did um, Chazon. And in the very last Pasuk of chapter 39, As long as like Chamberlain, you know, as long as we have peace in our time, you're telling me a Bechorban, I can't worry what's going to happen 100, 200 years from now. Chizki said, I just can't deal with that. You know, in my lifetime, what happens to Gnog? So that is an, a bad ending. And then starts Nachamu, Nachamu, Then we start something totally new. And Rashi famously says, Choser on the Vuos of Asidos, he's getting ready for prophecies about the future. The rest of the book of Isaiah, right? The next 25 or whatever chapters from 40 to the end, what is it, 65 or something, are Divri Nechamos. So this Parsha of Nachamu interposes between the first half, which is Peronius, and second half, which is Nechama. Now, I don't exactly know what that means. What it means interposes Nachamu is itself um, Nechama. That's the words Nachamu itself. I see there's a Sifse, Chacham Sifse, the king, whatever tries to explain it. I don't get it. But whatever the case is, now starts the positive parts. So the usual way of understanding that is... Look, Yeshayo is a Novi. Isaiah is a prophet. Maybe the greatest. You know what I just said? After Moshe Rabbeinu, I think many would say, of all the prophets of Israel, in terms of registering by what we see, what they wrote, Isaiah would be the highest. Many say that. Um, there's a basis for it. Uh, so, okay, fine. He's talking about the future. In fact, that's how we read it. Uh, Mashiach time. Uh, uh, utopia, paradise recovered. It'll be uh, uh you know, Mashmiya uh, Shalom. I mean, Dabra Levi Shalayim, Kol Kari by Midbar. A voice cries out in the Midbar, "Go back to Israel, Kibbutz Golios." They gone to business, right? Right? They gone to business, and that's usually the way. You, and you say it like this: Look, Yeshayahu saw the future. I mean, the future, future, thousands of years. Okay, could be, Kinzai. And since he's talking about the future, so we all yearn for that as well. It's very tukapast for this time of the year. Now we finished Tishabov, you know, Tichlash on the cell, so to speak. Now we want to focus on the positive. <laughs> Nevertheless, Pashtas, I don't think that's what it is. Um, and this is all I can ever tell you is I say over and over again my understanding. <laughs> Remember, there's a context for everything. Yeshayahu lived during a holocaust <clears throat> many forget this when Sancherv invaded the king of Judah he killed everybody he didn't kill the last few percent that were able to run and hide in Jerusalem he was about to at the last minute the miracle happened and uh, you know the army was destroyed and he ran away and died killed by his sons but until that last moment it was bad news you would not have wanted to be a Jew living in the kingdom of Judah. That's the wrong time, wrong place. A belt of people died. Now, even though at the last minute had a happy ending that the army of Asher was destroyed, the country was absolutely devastated. 
I have no idea. It's not possible to know how many Jews, B'nai Yehuda, were able to run and hide successfully in the walls of Jerusalem. I mean, we know from archaeology, he built up to Jerusalem very strongly. We know from the Tanakh and the archaeology. And in the end, the, the siege was not successful. He did not conquer Yushalayim. The Assyrians did not conquer Yushalayim. But a, a veld of people died. And the country was absolutely devastated. Just imagine what they did when they went from house to house and burned it down and devastated. It's like Sherman marching through Georgia, you know. That's what they did. War's hell. So even though there were survivors, and um, as was predicted, and, uh, you know, the survivors had to start all over again, but they must have said, oh my God, what a devastation. And that itself is like a shock. And psychologically, I'm not a psychologist, just imagine what it's like to come out, and even though the Assyrian army's dead, you see plenty of Jews dead, and you see devastation. Farms, villages, and so forth wiped out. Mamish wiped out. In that context, the prophet Yeshai steps forward, historically. And he said, now we're in a rebuilding mode. The Tzav HaShot is Nechama. Now is not the time to criticize and give Musr. If you're living in 1945, you do not get together in a DP camp and give a Musr schmooze. That's just stupid. And everybody knows there are many stories of the Kleisenberg Rebbe and others. <coughs> that that's what they did it. They said, this ain't a time for a Musr schmooze. It's a time in Nechama. There are many Kleisenberger stories and others, I'm sure, about other Rebbe's or whatever. <laughs> In which they said, Oshan the Magan the Baloney, we didn't do anything wrong. You know what I'm saying? They didn't take this uh, Victor Miller attitude, it's all our fault. Because at that time, the survivors need to hear something else. They have to. If you hit somebody who's already down and out, you hit him over the head again with a two by four, he'll never get up. And it's necessary for the Jewish people to get up. In the time of Yeshayahu, it was necessary for the survivors to move out of the fortified city, Jerusalem, and to repopulate the country. As I said the other day, we have archaeological pictures of the devastation of towns like Lachish and others. So just imagine Hebron, Beislechem, you know, all those towns over there, Beersheba, and so forth, wiped out. So what do you do? The survivors, if there are any from that town, have to come and just move into empty houses. Maybe there are no survivors. And then the king, whoever was in charge, will send people. You have to repopulate the city. Used to be from this and this family. That family is ex exterminated. That's how it goes. The same thing happened in 1945. Right? Whole villages, whole communities wiped out. You know this and I know this. How many survivors emerged out of the DP camps and went home and found everybody's dead? And the guy didn't want to kill them also. They didn't want to come back. That's the difference. In '45, you're talking about returning to Poland, Ukraine, and such places. Um, here you're talking about returning to parts of Israel as Jewish. So no game there, you know, fighting for the land, trying to kick them out. But there's nobody here. It's a ghost town. And in this way, um, you had to hear words of Nechama. People looked to the prophet Isaiah. The reason they looked to him is because, as I understand it. It's because if you read the story about the siege closely, the famous siege of Jerusalem by Sancheirev, 
which is mentioned in the book of Malachim, Deriyam, and Yeshayahu. You'll see that when the Assyrian army, having wiped out the rest of Judah, surrounded the walls of the city and started perpetrating the siege and using mind games, psychological warfare, which worked pretty well, at that moment, the Yeshayo rallied the people. He has his famous prophecies. Ba'az alecha, log alecha, basulus bastion, who you messing with, and veganosi alirezos, the hoshi alaman, david avdi, all these famous, right? Not a single arrow will be shot here. Nothing will work. This was, uh, you know, like Thomas Paine in the Revolution. And then he was uh, unbelievably vindicated by the miraculous death of the Assyrian army, just on the point where they're about to attack the city. So Yeshai has creds. And now that it's all over, he says, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. Right? And he even says, Dabra, Lev Yushalayim, which is, to me, always very interesting, because you have in Shema, Vayilos, Al Yodcho, how's it go? V'havta Hashem, V'chol V'chol Nafshecha, those words, which I always interpret to mean um, beyond the rational. Right? The lave in biblical language is often the brain, you know, seat of intelligence. And has to be beyond the rational. Um, it's not as simple as the rational. Uh, there is some of the mysticism when you have Avas Hashem, after the Shem Here also, it is fascinating to me that if you try to simply speak rationally to people, everybody say, What's the point of living? My family was killed, my relatives are gone, I'm the only survivor of a town. Hebron is wiped out, Beislachim is wiped out, Lachish is wiped out, Beshev is wiped out, and so on and so forth. You know? Dabra, Lev Yushalayim. You have to go all Lev. Um, which is just very interesting. And the word Daber is harsh. So you have to speak to him harshly, meaning you have to give him directions, go back and repopulate this land. And it won't be simple. Already back at the, um, the, during the siege, he said, there'll be a sign. First year will be little food. Eventually it'll be more food. Because, uh, you know, the enemy army had eaten up all the food. And uh was like Sherman through Georgia. And uh, there were people who were depressed, discouraged. No, no, no. Which is a wonderfully vague phrase. What does that mean? You can look up all the translations. Each one will give a different translation. You can look at all the Mepharshim. Each one will give a different Pirish. Right? Rashi says, quotes Targum Yonason over here. You understand? What is Molotzvah? So it all means it's host, it's army, or something like that. It's not a, a, a Hebrew phrase that can be successfully translated. It's not It's not transparent what that means. So, uh, the Targum Yonason, who always tries, like Uncle is, to explain things for the public by eliding the hard translation words, he famously says, that means Jerusalem will be full of people. That one day, Mashiachan, the city of Jerusalem will be full of people from the Gaulish. In other words, comes Pesach, Sukkot, all the Americans and the others 
will crowd the city of Jerusalem as they do now. With the Pesach hotels, the circus hotels, Kimo <laughs> Tzvo. That's what that means. Mashiach time even more. Um, that's a good word, but that's not the meaning. I mean, that's not the plain meaning of Mo Tzvo. The best thing I can understand, especially I'm trying to be contextual, because that's how you start with. You first have to get the Pashup shot to the degree that you can, you have the context. Once you have that, you can big all the Hasidic stuff, all the Jewish stuff. That's fine. But what's he talking about? Kimotzvah basically said, like this, the armies are over. We were been devastated by the Assyrian army, and now that Tzavah is gone. No, the war's over. Okay? The war's talk over. Kinir no. The sin of Jerusalem has been paid for. That Israel paid double for their virus. So basically, the idea is like this. We just went through a harsh holocaust, uh, but now the slate is clean. See? He's a Novi, he can say that. You know, he 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 speaks for God. We can't talk like that in our time, we don't know. But he's a Novi, he can say that. the army's full. I mean we've we've gone through all the military stuff, near Tsavono, and the sin is is, is now made right. We actually paid um for the sins with interest, double. Okay? So basically, as I see it, this is Isaiah talking to the people in his time who are desperately in the Nechama. And uh, in other words, he's trying to address the psychological side because everybody knows there's a survivor syndrome and so forth. And just people are devastated. And yet, in spite of your dev- devastation, life must go on. There, There is no choice. There's no choice. Right? And that's why it goes on. No, I, I think I'm right. And by the way, he says, don't worry. God will take care of everything. We will rebuild this country. And they did historically. They did. They rebuilt Yehuda. Build the roads again, the highways. This is a pussy for engineers. That could be the, the slogan of the engineers. Any valley is filled up. Any mountain is knocked down. You know, anything is crooked, you know, will be made straight. That's the engineer for it. Okay? Now, um, the reason I say that um, I think it's right this way, because after going a whole little uh, opinion about God's greatness, which is, you know, very famous over there, he goes and he says in Pasuk 21, right? which to me is, is fascinating. Uh, but it, to me, it's, it's part of the giveaway of when this was said. Um, after making fun of idols and all that junk, he says, Hello, Seju, hello, Sishmu, hello, Hugimi Rosh. Don't you know what has happened? Who made the world? And then he says, Here it is. Hanosim, Pusik 23. Hanosim, Rosnim, Lion. God turns the tyrants into garnish. Eres Kato also. Let me see what translation is. He makes princes into nothing and turns the earth rulers to naught. Well, who's he talking about? Tancherib, obviously. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner has their stem taken root in the earth, then he blows on them and they dry up and the storm carries them away like straw. This is what happened. They had the gigantic Assyrian army with a half million men. There are many places in the show we talked about how devastating they were. With their tramp of their feet, they can freak everybody out. 
They drink up whole rivers. Because if you have an army of half a million men, uh, you know, I'm not an engineer, but how much they take from the river? And there are not, not that much water in Israel. Okay? So, uh, they're pretty scary. No, no, no. Hashem can knock everything down. Right? Uh, I know some line. He can turn a Hitler into a garnish. He, uh, a Rosen is a tyrant. Right? A dictator. Now, um, so what do you see over here? The people, the rabbis who put this together, I don't think we're analyzing this historically. What's the original context of Isaiah? Even though they can, I'm not so smart if I could come up with it, anybody can. But that's not what they were interested in. Because that would simply tell you what the original context was, and the Chazal aren't into that. It, it's not what preoccupies them. They want to know the eternal the meaning. As I said before, first you start with the Peshat, and then you build on that. The broader meaning is, as I understand it, that the war that Yeshaya lived through is a prototype from a Sheikh site. Uh, most of our, I've said this many times, the most of our messianic prophecies <clears throat> in classic rabbinic literature are imagining the future is going to be some kind of repetition of what happened with the Assyrian invasion because Chazal say very famously more than one occasion the Chizkiah could have been Mashiach. Sancher could have been the final act, but, you know, for one reason or another, it didn't work out. Okay, if that's the case, then what do we see? That the Assyrian army came in and, and wiped out the country, or 95% of it. That's Gogomogo. That's a foreshadowing of Gogomogo. Notice this is the, um, what's right, apocalyptic, uh, messianist vision, that the Mashiach will come in the context of war and devastation, and be pretty bloody and messy, because that's what happened with the army of Ashur. I said they killed and devastated. At the last minute, there will be divine intervention and the army wiped out. That's what happened with Ashur. In Isaiah, there's even discussions about there will be dead bodies all over the place. And very fascinatingly to me, and some of those bodies will be a glow, which sounds like a World War III with the nuclear. So the, the model is a permanent model. So... Once that eschatological, eschatological, uh, you know, vision emerged in the prophetic literature, so it becomes a model for the future. And when we do every year Tishabov, so on Tishabov we're very sad. And we think about the Churban Beis Amigish and all the other Churbanas, and we yearn for a final Geula, not just a temporary, but a final Geula. We look to, you know, a repetition in some sort of the World War Three business that happened to Yishayahu. We look to it with longing, but also with trepidation. As Zygmunt says so famously, Yesi v'lo yachmini, I forget which of the rabbis, Zygmunt said, I hope the Mashiach comes, but I don't want to see it. Meaning, I want to duck the, the, the World War Three. I want to be there when it's over. Everybody's like that. But it'll be like that. The book of Daniel, at the end, talks in those terms. And then it'll be great. Then everything will be great. Um, and then all the problems will be gone. And since this chapter in Yeshaya is so vivid, and the language is so powerful, and it lends itself for drash, so I think that's why they use it, for, that's how it came up for Shabbos Ago. For example, as he said, Kol Every valley will be raised and every mount will be lowered. 
the crooked would be made level, and the ridges, her chasen and bika, the ridges would become a plain. That could be literally true. I'm sure when they did the reconstruction after the devastation of the Assyrian invasion, the Imamish had engineers doing that. Because a war can make a huge mess with these sieges. They rip up the, the geology, you know, they, the armies do that. But it's also an image of righting all the wrongs in society. Every valley will be raised up. No, there's all those who are downtrodden and mistreated, the poor of society. You know, say will be raised. All the high and mighty, all the big shots, the richy riches, and the arrogant ones will be brought low. Don't say they'll be brought and turned into valleys. It says everybody will be equal. Right? And the crooked will be made straight. The crooked are like we've seen in modern English, you know, the crooks, dishonest ones. They're So since the language of this Torah, of this prophecy of Isaiah, it's so rich and lends itself not only to the uh, original meaning, which is what I'm interested in today, but it lends itself to broader meanings. I think the Clarice became you know, just infatuated with it. But um, there's one uh, part, necessary part, and that is, as you see in this Haftarah, uh, that the Jewish people recognize the difference between God and the idols. You know, they won't have idols anymore. Because he makes fun. He said, God is, you know, is supreme and he can hold the whole earth in his finger and, you know, measure the, the ocean and so on and so forth. And on the other hand, uh, the idols are made by woodsmiths and, you know, people who say, oh, what's the quality of wood? Read the Haftarah, you'll see. You know, you have good wood, you have bad wood. Do you want to, someone goes in and he says, you want to buy a get you, you want to buy an idol. Do you want one short-term, long-term, you know? You have an Honest Harry's uh, Idol store, you know. For money, you get honey, you know. You, you, you want a good idol, I can get you mahogany and alabaster and all the rest of it. You want a cheap piece of junk, I can get you that too. It's all mockery. Get it? It's a mockery. So what's he saying? There will be a final gula, an achama. Uh, it will be characterized by an intellectual liberation. The Jewish people will realize the difference between Hashem on the one hand and all the idols on the other. Uh, the Jewish people today, in the year 2021, let's put it this way, we ain't past idolatry. Right now, the current idolatry is the woke, you know what I'm saying? That's the idolatry in a moment. Uh, for most Jews. Uh, you know, PC. But, you know, tomorrow will be exchanged for another PC, for a different idol. And you just want to see what I'm talking about, look at your local federations, whatever. They'll go crazy over some cause, and then a year later when it's out of fashion... They'll go crazy over a different cause. You understand? Uh, right now, it's a Black Lives Matter. Tomorrow, it'll be something. They'll forget that and they'll go for something totally different. Yeah, you know? Because it's just idle. It's a fashion of the moment. You see? Um, will the college world be able to get past the idolatry and the fashions of the moment and look to the grandeur of God? Or will they not? But at least in this after they do. And as I said before, it's so true. People went through a Holocaust, don't need Moser Shmuz. They're not interested in that. Somebody suffered. Uh, I'll give you an example off the top of my head. Imagine, and this, I'm sorry to say this happens, you know, and I know it. Imagine a kid who's abused sexually. It happens. And then this kid goes to school and 
the rabbi, the mashkiach, who has no idea, those that ranks out the kids, oh, you're all sinners, you're this, that, and there. That kid don't need that. You know, when he's suffering, mentally, emotionally, he don't need somebody to tell him he's bad. Now, obviously, the rabbi doesn't know it. He wouldn't say that. I get it. I'm just telling you, life is like that. You know, in order to give criticism, you have to have a very healthy and well-balanced type of individual. Uh, many forget that. Now, you throw Salantar, did not forget that. If you study closely his history, closely you'll see he's very careful only rank out people that he felt were, were mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. It's very fascinating. It's one of the interesting things about him. Uh, you know, you don't just you know shoot from the hip at everybody. But how's a rabbi supposed to know that? How's a mashkiach supposed to know How's a rabbi supposed to know How's a rashi supposed to know It's part of the problems of life. Uh, so I'll leave you with this image. It's a nachamu nachamu because Yeshaya being a real Navi is God. God, I mean, it's not Yeshaya talking. It is Yeshaya talking, but he's inspired, you know, with Ruch HaKodesh, with Nevuah. So Hashem is saying like this, right now, after Chorban, you need Nechama. Uh Otherwise, you won't go ahead productively. If we want to rebuild the King of Yehuda, or say today, rebuild Yiddishkeit or something like that, you have to move in a productive way. You have to deal with people, how should I put it, you know, in a way that will elicit from them the most positive and constructive responses. If you're just interested in ranking them out, then you ask yourself, will this lead to a, a, a productive response? And if you're honest, you'll say, well, I don't care, productive. I just want to get it off my chest. This monster. Well, that's stupid. You know what I'm saying? That's stupid. So, this is very interesting how the, how, into my mind, how the Haftorah of um, Nachamu became the Haftorah that we all associate with post Tishabo. Anyway, once again, I want to thank the Steins and Colors and wish everybody a good week and a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.